Well, good morning. Happy Independence Day. It's a great weekend. Been looking forward to uh, bringing a message from the Word of God today. Uh, my wife Karen and I, as we drove down Friday evening, uh, she pulled it up on her phone so that we could watch that powerful message on grace last week that our second son preached on a very regular basis. Uh, we watch uh, as Pastor Jeremy brings the word, our baby girl uh, and her husband, Troy, Lacey and Troy, planted a church in Manhattan, Kansas, and from time to time we hop on and watch one of them preach. And so it's just a joy to be with you today. We know you're on a regular, rich diet of the Word of God, and so we're excited to uh, add to that today. Obviously, your pastor will be back uh, very soon and will continue uh, helping you to find and fulfill your God-given potential. That's the mission of your pastor and of this church. And the non-negotiable, hear this, the non-negotiable for finding and fulfilling your God-given potential is to continually give all that you know of your heart to all that you understand of God. The moment you realize there's something I just discovered about my heart, give that to who you understand Jesus to be, and you will find and fulfill your God-given potential. There were a couple of other messages that I really felt drawn to preach today, but I just couldn't get away from what I've landed on, and uh, I hope that it will be an encouragement and a help to you. In the book of Acts, we're not going to read much there, just one verse as a launching pad. The uh, writer Luke describes how the church at Jerusalem sent a representative about 80 miles north up to the city of, of Antioch. It was the first non-Jewish church gathering. And uh, uh, they had heard that God had done something pretty incredible there. And so they wanted to make sure that they were uh, getting good teaching. And so they sent Barnabas, and it says this about him. When he arrived in Antioch, again, about 80 miles northeast of Jerusalem, when he saw what the grace of God had done. You heard about the grace of God in a sweet way last week. When he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Karen and I drove down so that I can say to you in these next several minutes, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. I'm not saying to us today, uh, work a little harder at this. Show up at a few more programs. I'm not suggesting that you and I need to work a little, just grit your teeth and go a little further, but love the Lord. Remain true in your heart. Let's love Him with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. One of the most heartbreaking statements I ever hear people who have been following Jesus for a while, when I hear them say something like this, they see someone else energetically worshiping God in a service, or they hear about them 
making a certain decision, and it's obvious that they had laced that decision with the awareness of, of Jesus and his teachings and his character. And someone who's been following Jesus a long time makes the sad statement that says, I used to be like that. I used to be like that. That's almost the saddest thing I can ever hear someone, oh God, I don't want to ever be the guy that says that. But sadder still is when they say, I used to be like that. But it'll wear off of them too. I don't want to be a person that is following Jesus based on the beautiful tempo and the powerful voices of men and women on a platform that can get me revved up so that I'm putting my trust in Jesus and while I'm amped up, I'm all in. But when I lose the context of a moment that I'm back into a lukewarm existence, the apostle Barnabas went to Antioch and he said, remain, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. Don't let this be a temporary thing. Don't let this be a phase you were passing through. How many of you remember that great songwriter, and some don't say he's a great singer, but I think he is, Bob Dylan. How many remember Bob Dylan? He went through his, his Jesus phase in the 1980s, and, and he wrote a great song and sang a great song, said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. It was a, it was a great song. I don't know the condition of Bob Dylan's heart today, but people describe that era as his Jesus phase. Barnabas said, remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. And ultimately, we will either keep growing in Jesus or we will decline. And decline will often end in open revolt against God's authority. Some of us, maybe you're online. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're over at Nacogdoches or one of you guys at Duncan or Diebold. Maybe you were walking with Jesus at one time and then you find yourself in the middle of behaviors, in the middle of circumstances caused by your choices. And when you think about it a moment, you say, what am I doing here? How did I get here? We get to those places one decision, one compromise at a time. I didn't come down here today to beat anybody up or to pour shame on your head. I came today to say to Terry Yancey as well, let's remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts. I'm going to talk about a story out of the first book of the Bible today, the book of Genesis. The author of Genesis is uh, the great Moses, the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt's bondage across the Red Sea and got them to the promised land some 40 years later. And if you haven't read all of the story, it's certainly worth the read. But Moses wrote Genesis, and he wrote it with a strategic plan in mind. He wanted to inform these recently freed slaves about the general nature of God. They had been in bondage and slavery for 400 plus years, generational slavery. 
generational slavery has a way, like generational poverty, of changing the way we think. It affects our world view. And the worldview of the Israelites was, I get up when I'm told, I go to sleep when I'm told. I do the job that I'm told to do. I don't lay awake thinking about career advancement because this is not a career. This is slavery. I'm somebody's property, and when they sell me, I go, and if they beat me, I keep my mouth shut because I'm a slave. The gods of Egypt were more familiar to them than the god of their ancestor Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's youngest boy, Joseph, who had a tremendous walk with the living God. But that all was ancient history by the time that we get to the story of their slavery. They didn't know how to relate to God. If there was one God that was granddaddy of them all, they had no clue how to interact or what his nature was like. So Moses writes Genesis. And he gets the law and he writes Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. He recaps their travels. And why did he write it? So that they would begin to grasp the nature of God. His primary motivation was to highlight that God had a plan for relationally connecting to human beings. God makes Adam out of the dust, leans over his his uh, inanimate body that's shaped and formed and ready to live, but it can't live because it has no, no breath. And the book says that God <sighs> breathes into that corpse and Adam became a living soul. He became unique. He was, he was breathing the same air as a rhinoceros and breathing the same air as a monkey and breathing the same air as a robin on the wing, but he was different. Those rhinoceroses and robins could in some way with their presence and their movements and the bird's song could glorify God. But Adam, he didn't only glorify, he knew God. He related to God. He was in God's image. He could, he could bear the, the character of God when he experienced, when he walked with God. He could be adjusted in his thinking because he had been with, with God. God wanted relationships. So here he is with, with Adam, and, and then he relates to Adam's two boys, Cain and Abel, and both of them are trying to be worshipers, but one's rebellious and wants to do worship his way. Cain brings vegetables to God, and it wasn't that God didn't like vegetables. Now, I don't know. That kind of gives me some encouragement. When I was a kid, I hated vegetables. God didn't want his vegetables, so I'm saying, all right, it's right that I didn't want to eat my green peas. But, but he says to Cain, this offering you're bringing is not satisfactory. And he looked at Abel, who had brought an animal and sacrificed it because he understood, Abel understood that there is something efficacious about bringing the blood of a sacrifice that God said only blood can cover the sins. And he, he loved Abel, and he took notice of Abel and Cain with religious motivated jealousy, killed his brother. But God made Adam and he made 
able to relate to them. And you can read the stories that Moses put in the book of Genesis up until you get to about chapter 10. And what you're seeing is in chapter 10, the flood narrative. How many remember the, the flood? I love dad jokes. I just, I do. I love dad jokes. You know why they put, why, why they don't put four doors on a chicken coop? Because then it would be a sedan and not a coop. It only gets worse. Oh, you're wanting to build a boat? I know a guy. <laughs> the laughter's dying down. It's like, dear God, what's wrong with him? Hey, now you understand a little more about your pastor. That's all I have to say. Noah builds this boat that God directs. God speaks to this guy named Noah when the whole world was full of brokenness and violence and and God said I'm going to destroy it all with water but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord so God relates to Noah and he preserves human beings through Noah and his wife and their three sons Shem, Ham and Japheth and they survive the flood on the ark and when it's all over and the animals leave the ark and they, these four couples Two of them no longer having children, but Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their spouses, they begin to have children and they begin to multiply. And it's just a matter of a few years before the population's getting strong and they start moving away from the ark. It settled down from the water. When the water drained down, it had settled on one of the mountainsides of the Ararat range. And, and so they, they started moving away from, from the ark. What was God doing? Well, in chapter 10 of Genesis, it, he gives, Moses writes down the table of nations. And he says, from Shem came this group of people, and they lived in this region. And from Ham came this group. And from whoever, Japheth, I think I left out, they, they lived over here, and they had their languages, and, and, and they scattered over the earth. That was God's plan. Because while he was creating these nations, he was intending to create, and you find in chapter 12, the introduction of a guy named Abraham, and God was intending to bring through Abraham an entire tribe, an entire nation, that that nation would be the conduit through which Jesus, the Messiah, would come to the earth. Because God knew, I've got to have someone, a God-man, fully God, fully man, that can redeem this whole mess, and I've got to have a special people that will carry my name and bear my presence and it's through them that I will bring the Messiah to the earth. That was God's plan. That's why he wanted all the nations so that he could begin to bless the nations of the world through that which came through Abraham, through the Jews, which is Jesus. So we get to chapter 10 and we read this, verse 32. God makes his plan clear when he says, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread, over, spread out over the earth after the flood. Then you start chapter 11, and it's like Moses is saying, now I've just told you that they started spreading out, but there is a story that like makes a big difference of how they started spreading out, why they 
spread out. So it's this parenthetical statement. Verse 1, chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. In other words, there were no dialects. When it says one language, it would be like English, a common speech. It would be when I say, I'll be there directly. I'm originally from Arkansas. Directly does not mean what it means. Directly means sometime today, I will get to your house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But if you're from New York and I say to you, I'll be there directly, you expect that I'm going to hop in a cab and I'm going to get driven across Manhattan and I'm going to come to your place. It's a direct deal, I, directly. They had one language and when they said directly, everybody knew what directly meant. This is an important point. They had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they're, they're leaving the area where the ark was. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, which is where modern-day Iraq is, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that, so that, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This statement is the declaration of independence by the people that were just about maybe 200, maybe 300 years removed from the flood. Noah would have still been alive. There were people that had firsthand remembrance of everything being destroyed because people had no time for the knowledge of and relationship with God. And now these folks are saying, we declare our independence from him. His plan says scatter. We're going to build a city and we're staying right here. But the Lord came down. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. The, that, it's a Hebrew word that sounds like confusion. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So you see how that phrase ties back to the end of chapter 10. He's continuing the story of God's plan, getting people all over the earth. 
Well, today marks the 245th anniversary of the Second Continental Congress signing their names. How I many, you know, John Hancock, he's got the great big flourishing John Hancock. He was the president of the Second Continental Congress of the 13 uh, colonies, and he signed his name so big. Legend has it that he said, I don't want King George having any trouble reading my handwriting. I want him to know that I'm a part of this thing. Well, he and a little over 50 other men pledged their life and their sacred honor to the accomplishment of separating, getting independence. They started a revolt to get free from the authority of Great Britain. I want to talk about for the next little while the anatomy of a revolt. The anatomy of a revolt. Humans, as a, as a general rule, maybe not everyone, but as a general rule, humans have this aversion to authority unless, I'll not tell your story, but I'll tell mine, I have an aversion to authority unless I'm the guy with it. You know what I'm talking about? At least you've, you've met those guys and gals. The people of Shinar had an aversion to the authority of God. So what do I learn from this? From this story, number one, I learn that those who stop pursuing God's plan will eventually revolt against Him. Verse 2 simply says, they started moving out from the east but they found the plain of Shinar and they settled there. They knew God's plan, but they stopped pursuing. I want to ask, ask us, remember I read how Barnabas encouraged them to, to continue to remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts? These people, the Word of God, the presence of God, the activity of God had become ancient once upon a time history. What's the history that you hold? How old is the history of your life and your walk with God? Friends watching online, again, no condemnation. Just, I'm just asking because we all need to be encouraged from time to time. Remain true to Him with all of our heart. Is the history you have with Him ancient history or are you staying current? With him. We came from Wichita to tell you today, finish well. You didn't start just to stop. I would wager to say if I were a betting man that not one divorce that was finalized in Angelina County in 2020 or thus far in 2021, not one divorce did that man and woman look at each other on their wedding day and say, this will be fun while it lasts. They looked at each other, and with everything in them, almost every couple, sure there's a jerk here and there that in the back of their mind they've already got an escape clause. I, I get that. But the vast majority look with love-filled eyes, and they say to that gal or to that guy, until death do us part in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse. And then he says when he's divorcing her, yeah, she got the better and I got the worse, so I'm out of here. 
Nobody starts serving Jesus saying, I'll ride this wave until it gets inconvenient and then I'm out of here if he expects very much of me. No, we all start saying, I don't intend to stop. Jesus has saved my soul. Jesus has fixed my life. I am, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a whole person because of Jesus. I'm in, Lord. But something happens along the way. And if we stop pursuing his plan, we'll end up in open revolt. I say it again. Let's remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts. Is, is that making sense to anybody? If you're feeling beat up, I'm sorry. I'm not, I didn't come down here with a ball bat. I came down to encourage people who I believe to be following Jesus, that your hearts are yearning to follow him. I came to say, let's, let's remain true. Guys there at Duncan and Dieball, let me say it to you. If you picked up on this thing and you're beginning to follow Jesus, remain true to him. I know there's tough circumstances. Friends watching from home online, I know there are things that can happen. Friends at Nacogdoches, I know circumstances can get rough. But I'm telling you, Jesus is lovingly saying, remain true. Remain true to me with all your heart. Don't fake it till you make it. Just be real and say, I make some mistakes, but my heart is leaning into you. From this story, number two, I learned that those who keep company with the self-centered will eventually revolt against God. Verse two, pardon me, verse three and verse four, they said, let's make brick. Verse four, let's let us build a city. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, bad company corrupts good character. In Arkansas, we would say, if you run with the dogs long enough, you're going to get fleas. Who we hang with. Dave Ramsey says that if we hang around with people who are richer than us, they have more money than us, they understand finance better than we do, if you hang around with that kind of person, 10 years from now, your financial condition will be better because of the influence on your life from people who get money a little more than you perhaps understand the use of money. Who we hang with. Show me your closest friends and I will declare to you accurately what your future looks like. The apostle, pardon me, the, the writer Moses describes these people as self-centered. We're going to do something that is in the face of God. Now listen, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them figuring out this new technology of baking clay and making it a hard brick and it's in a rectangular shape so that they can more easily build something with it. I, I helped my dad lay rock on a house and I've helped put a few bricks in place. I've helped lay block. I like laying block a whole lot better than I like laying stone. To lay stone, you've got to be almost an artist and I ain't no artist. Nothing wrong with coming up with a better technology, nothing wrong with wanting to build a city unless God has said something else and directed another route for our lives. I, I want to say to all of us, including me, let's 
run toward the call of God. Let's run toward his plan. Don't, don't be like those who, who, when they were young, God called them to, to ministry leadership. He called them. They knew that they were supposed to invest their life as a missionary in India. They knew that they were supposed to, to start in youth ministry and preach the gospel and train up a new generation. They knew God had told them those things, and they said, not on your life. I saw the way that the preachers had to live when I was a kid growing up. I'll just make a bunch of money and support churches, but I'm not on your life going to follow the call of God. And they live miserable lives. They're unhappy. And I'll tell you this, they're one of the biggest headaches that a pastor can ever have. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Terry? I've been serving as superintendent for the Assemblies of God in Kansas for 22 years. And people who have ran from the call of God, they have a sense of of what's right. They see some things that other people may not see. But instead of just saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm all in, they just want to make sure they sit back like the armchair quarterback and they criticize when it's not done the way they think it should have. That is a horrible waste of life. Run toward God's call. Collapse our will and embrace his. Karen and I, when we'd been married maybe six months, and there was a missionary guest on one Sunday night, and we were there, and I still remember him talking about that if the will of God is this, and you're walking this way, the moment you know that this is the will of God for you, go there. Don't debate. Don't negotiate. If he's here and you're here, the moment you know God wants this of me, there's no price tag to be considered. I have never, Karen and I, we never even asked how much are we going to get paid. That wasn't our question when we were seeking God's will. We needed to know, Jesus, where do you want us? Jesus, where do you want us? You're the king. You're our provision. This church has never been the provision. Your job, you may, whoever you work for, they're not your provision. They may sign your paycheck, but they are not your provision. Ask this question, Jesus, what do you want of me, of my family? And if he's moving here and you are moving here, when you know it, move to the will of God. Move to the will of God, because those who keep company with self-centered others, other people, will eventually revolt against God. I'll wrap this part up with this. Don't worry, I'm not getting done. I'm just wrapping up this point. But I will hurry. Parents, I would never, ever, ever want a parent to push a kid toward pastoral ministry or missions work full-time. Oh, show your kids how to walk with God. Lead them in the way of righteousness. Take them on missions trips. Witness about Jesus in the grocery store, store aisle when they, when they see and hear you doing those things. Absolutely push in that way because that's a good example. But never, never start talking before they bring it up. Don't ever start saying, this is going to be my little preacher boy. This is going to be my little preacher girl. If Jesus doesn't call them, they need to do something besides ministry leadership. But I fear that there's 
a growing ethos in the wider body of Christ, the parents and grandparents saying, don't, don't, don't go there. You need a real career. You, you need a, a job that, that you can actually support your family. I mean, support the church and all, but, but you need a job that, hear me, please, I just hope you hear my heart. If they come home from camp, or they come home from a youth gathering, and, and they say, Jesus is talking to me about, after I graduate, I think I'm supposed to go over to Southwestern and Waxahachie. They want to go to a spirit-filled university. Dad, mom, listen, Karen and I live on a budget. We understand expenses, and I know that, uh, that the State College and that Angelina College are a whole lot less money than going to Southwestern. But listen, listen to me. If they're experiencing something of the voice of God, and they're sensing that they need an education that is spirit-filled, led by men and women who will not tear down their faith in Jesus. One of the most dangerous places you can send your babies is a secular university. I'm not saying that because I, I hate them. I'm saying it because it's just the truth. They will not just actively teach theory, they will do their best to disciple them away from Jesus. You didn't birth that baby to raise them up so they can go to hell. I'm preaching 95% better than you're responding, but I'm still telling the truth. All three of our kids experienced something in Jesus at a youth camp. We tried to have family devotions. That was one of the most frustrating, aggravating things of my life. We'd sit down, we'd try to have family devotions. I'd start a song like, change my heart, oh God. And Jeremy would go, this is the day, this is, it was just. I mean, I'm glad I didn't kill him after all, but there were moments I thought, Jesus, I'm going to kill him and let him lay dead for about a minute, and then you can resurrect him. But, you know, would you just... I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I never actually thought about killing him. I did think about putting him in a barrel and nailing the top shut and feeding him through a knot hole until he was 17. Then I wanted to just close up the knot hole, too. At a camp where we were not leading, we weren't yet, we were still pastoring a local church. The DYD called us and said, uh, I don't know if Jeremy will say anything, but just want to give you an alert. He told me that on X night of camp, that Jesus spoke to him and said he's supposed to be a preaching uh, pastor. When he got home, he was so excited. And he told us of a vision that Jesus had given him. His younger brother, Jared, an experience with God at a camp. Lacey, the same. So we cultivated the presence of God at home, but, but we didn't try to push them into ministry. Listen to me. We, don't, we said, we don't care if you're lawyers or doctors or ditch diggers. We don't care because preaching is not this Yancey family business. Here's the Yancey family business is we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And then Jesus called them. If God calls one of your kids to ministry leadership, 
urge them, don't ever stoop to being the president of the United States if Jesus has called you to ministry. Nothing matters. You say, but what if they have to pastor some tiny little church of 50 out in the boondocks? If they are following the call of the king, the only thing that matters is pursuing the call of God. Man, I've taken up so much time on that point, I don't know if I can get everything else in. So I'll hurry. It doesn't mean anything. It just means I'm aware that I've taken a long time. Third, from this story, I learn that those preoccupied with their own name will eventually revolt against him. Verse 4, the latter part, so that we may make a name for ourselves. So when the kids were young and at home, we would say things like, as they were about to go out for an evening, remember your name, son. Remember your name, sis. We didn't want them to act like Christians. We wanted them to be Christians. We didn't want them to act a certain way because dad and mom were in leadership in Kansas. We, we wanted them to act a certain way because they love Jesus. But we said, you've got a name and your name means something. And the Yancey name is about following Jesus. Remember your name. But that doesn't mean that we valued the Yancey name and elevating the Yancey name instead of elevating the name of Jesus so far. Well, yesterday, today marks 42 years, six months, and one day that I've been privileged to be the husband of my wife, Karen. And for 46 years, six months, and one day, we have wanted to elevate one name. Terry and Karen can't set people free. Terry and Karen can't take a dad who's an abuser, that his kids run and hide when he comes home. A mom that seems to love Coors Light more than she loves her baby's nutrition. We can't take and change her life. We, we can't fix people. We couldn't fix ourselves. Only Jesus can fix us. Only Jesus can change your life. And I am not preoccupied with my name. I'm not preoccupied with the assemblies of God. Don't be preoccupied with Timber Creek Church. Be preoccupied with the name of God. We're here to elevate the name that transforms lives. We're here to elevate a name that can remove racism, that can give hope when everything seems to be... I'm telling you, friends, can we just give Jesus a hand? Come on. Can you give Jesus a hand? The apostle said, no other name is given. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Our hope, our hope, talking to us about remain true to him with all of our heart. My hope, Karen's hope, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Because all other ground, all other ground, son, is sinking sand. All other ground. If you're not standing on Jesus, Listen to me, guys at Duncan and Diebold. 
Listen, men and women watching on your TV, whether it's right now live or you're watching this recording, build your life on Jesus. Nacogdoches family, build your life on Jesus. Friends here, build your lives on Jesus because he will never fail you. Those preoccupied with their own name will eventually revolt. Number four, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'll just read it to you. Those preoccupied with the presence of other people over the presence of God will eventually revolt. They said, otherwise, we will be scattered. They, they didn't want to go with God's plan. And number five, from this story, I learned that those concentrating on dead-end projects, even if they're an active revolt, those concentrating on dead-end projects need a Savior. Listen to verse 7 talked about, God said, if, if as one people, they're unified, and they're talking the same language, they mean what they say to each other, and they get it. If we don't do something, they're going to stay focused on this dead-end project. Now, it's pretty cool. Wow. God said they're going to build a tower that could penetrate the atmosphere. If you ever climb Everest, Mount Everest, the air is so thin and the sky is, is, you can begin to see the stars at noon time. I mean, it's, you're, you're right up against the sky, up against the atmosphere. You're, it's, so, it's so thin, the air is so thin that almost everybody to survive, they're going to have to have a little oxygen up there. They were going to build a tower as tall as Mount Everest. No jackhammers, no hydraulics, just baking bricks and using tar for mortar. And God said, I don't want them wasting their life on that dead-end project. God said, if I don't do something, if I don't scatter them, They'll get this done and who knows what else. So the, the confusion of God scattering them, of, of giving them, making them not understand each other. The languages were divided that day when God caused one of them, they were, maybe they were all talking Italian. And so the boss is speaking in Italian saying to, maybe they were speaking Spanish. That's the true heavenly language. And, and so maybe they were speaking in Spanish. And then all of a sudden, uh, the boss starts speaking in Phoenician. And somebody then responds in Egyptian and says, say, what? They, got, they couldn't work together anymore because they couldn't understand each other's language. And for years when I would read that story, I thought God showed them. God showed them who was boss. When God comes down to take a look at the city you're building, you better be careful because God can mess things up for you right now. And that's not the point. Listen to this. God did not want them to die successful in shallow pursuits. And that's true today. It's true today. Whatever your career, I pray you're following Jesus and you're the best executive, you're the best truck driver, you're the best whatever, following Jesus. But don't, don't, 
Don't spend, don't spend your life in shallow pursuits and be successful at it. Like James Dobson said about 40 years ago, said, don't climb the ladder of success in, on the earth only to find out when you get to the top that you had leaned your ladder on the wrong wall. If you're not walking with Jesus, whether you're at Nacogdoches or Duncan or Diebald or right here in the sound of my voice live, if you're not walking with Jesus, maybe you've never known how to walk with him. Maybe you never knew that you could walk with him, but God is saying, if you want to walk with me, I'm glad to walk with you. That's why Jesus came. He died and he rose from the dead. If you will confess that you need a Savior, I'm telling you, you will experience a Savior. Confess with your mouth. God, I know what a mess I am, but you said I can be different. You said you would take me like I am and you would begin to shape me to be like Jesus. If you're willing to do, if you're willing to pour out that kind of grace, I'm willing to cooperate with you. It's that simple. No, don't worry. You won't be perfect your first week. We've been serving Jesus almost all of our lives. And I promise you, my wife isn't anything close to perfect. <laughs> that was meant to be funny. <laughs> She's a whole lot closer, a whole lot closer to perfect than I am. But Jesus says, I want a relationship. Ask him. For those of you that are kind of long time in the house, you've been around the things of God. And maybe you've said, I used to be like that. We drove down to carry this message to you. Remain true to Him with all of your heart. And if you aren't, you know. Maybe everybody thinks you're okay. Maybe everybody thinks you're just holy and right and really pressing in. But at two in the morning when everybody else is asleep, you have the Amazon Prime movies available. Maybe when nobody else is around, you don't watch for long, but you just, you just go to that site that just kind of fills up some of the empty that you're feeling. Listen, this is not condemnation. Remain, remain true to Him. And true to Him means not just on Sunday when you're with us, but it means on Monday, the job, and Thursday evening when the kids are driving you yang-yang. Remain true to Him. I want to pray for you. Father, for the men and women, for the students, for the children that have stayed with us long enough to hear this whole message. In this moment, Lord, for those that are not yet following Jesus, they've not yet taken the next step and said, I put my trust in Jesus. I'm not, not going to trust me. I'm going to trust the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now, right now, supernatural faith will rise up in their hearts. Right there, Lord, and Duncan and Dieball, that men who are strong, they will realize their strength will never be enough. They need Jesus and that they will say yes to the leadership, to the lordship of Jesus. That, that 
good moms and dads that are watching online that are at Nacogdoches and that are right here that, that they really want to do right. But Lord, something in them, they've not yet yielded to the leadership of Jesus. Today, I pray for supernatural courage to take one more step toward Jesus and say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. And God, for any in this service, by whatever means they join, if their hearts have revolted, you're not ready to beat them up. You're ready to pull them close and say, I've missed you being around. Welcome home. Lord, we turn our eyes to you. We say no to revolt. And we say yes to walking with you in relationship. I speak blessing in life over Timber Creek Church. In Jesus' name, amen.